coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. And then I always like to look at thyroid antibodies because that gives us an insight about a possible autoimmune process that's in place. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've seen with thyroid antibodies that are not being looked at. And when you know that there's something going on, like an autoimmune process, there's a lot of other things that you can do to reverse the autoimmune process, which is ultimately going to boost thyroid function as well, too, because that means when you have an autoimmune process going on, the body is essentially attacking your thyroid tissue. Welcome to the show from the The MD MD and Chef Team. Team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef Team. And who are you? I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef part of the team. And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because he's my husband. (laughs) Yes. Well, then we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting, intimacy. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression, anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes and tips from the kitchen. And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life. Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We, we like, like to, to have, have fun, fun too. <laughs> so let's, let's get, get on, on with the show. show. Welcome everybody, I'm Dr. Isabel and you are at the MD and Chef Team Podcast. And today I have a special guest all the way from California, New uh, United States of America that is. <laughs> It's everybody knows where California is. And it's Jen Maleka, the holistic health boss. Jen is the holistic health boss, which supports busy, health-minded professionals in taking back control of their health by giving them access to the right lab tests and resources so they can find the missing pieces of their health puzzle, actually fix what is wrong, and get back to feeling like themselves again. Yes. Using over a decade of personal training experience, training in functional diagnostic nutrition and transformational coaching, she creates personalized health building programs for clients that are realistic and sustainable for long lasting results and that empower clients to be the boss of their own health. So Jen, tell me, you wanted to talk a lot about blood tests. And because I've been trained as a conventional medical doctor, I had to learn all these other different tests, which you're going to be talking about. And I really want to share with everybody these different tests that regular doctors are not taught to do. And so you have to be the boss and kind of help them along or find another doctor, right? Or somebody like you. Yeah, exactly. Like my whole spin on being a health boss is really to become your own advocate because, um, you know, like I like to say, you know, your body better than anybody does. And we have a tendency to put, um, you know, other health professionals on a pedestal and sometimes ignore what our own like intuition or inner guidance is telling us about our health. And that's what Um, sometimes leads us down like a long path of like finding our, you know, the solutions to actually feeling better. And what's very interesting is 
there's a lot of options out there and there's a lot of different tools and resources and lab tests and not every, there is no one single lab test that is going to give you all of the information that it needs. So our goal here is not to like, you know, poo poo the, the blood test because blood tests do give us maybe some insights and clues, but depending on what's going on with you, it may not be the, the exact type of test that you need. And there's a lot of other uh, what I call, you know, functional lab tests out there that are actually way more accessible that don't require a blood draw. So it's easy for you to do it in your own home and give you um, different pieces of your health puzzle to kind of figure out what is going on on a what we'd say like a physiological level, like a functional level. How is the body, you know, acting and interacting with the different systems um, internally to understand on a bigger, you know, scale or picture what's happening with you and what kind of action you can take as a result of that. As I like to say, and through the training that I received, we kind of call it like uncovering these hidden healing opportunities that are otherwise overlooked oftentimes. And what kind of tests are you specifically talking about when we talk about the thyroid test? Mm -hmm. So our, you know, thyroid testing is definitely one that you've got to do using blood. Um, it's the only way to accurately measure the thyroid. But with the thyroid, what I tend to see happen, and you can, I'm sure, uh, comment and attest to this, is oftentimes when people are getting their thyroid looked at, they're not getting a complete picture, right? No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> oftentimes, you know, the number one like thyroid marker that's pretty much almost always looked at by any um, you know, conventionally trained medical doctor or other health practitioner is what we call TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone, which is a piece of the picture, but it's not the whole entire picture. And actually TSH in some ways is a better insight about pituitary function because the pituitary gland in the brain is what produces TSH in order to signal the thyroid for the thyroid to do its job and then produce thyroid hormones. So, you know, what it, what's happening is that a lot of people are looking at TSH and, and looking at that as an insight to thyroid function, because if TSH is high, then that means the pituitary gland is working really hard to get the thyroid to do its job. And if it's low, then that would be the opposite, right? But if TSH is out of range or suboptimal for some reason, then we have to ask the deeper question of like, well, what's going on with the thyroid? Why isn't the thyroid doing its job or why is the thyroid overdoing its job potentially? Mm -hmm. And why, and then that TSH is low or high, right? And so that's where we need to get some other pieces of the puzzle. And, you know, if you're lucky, um, oftentimes uh, what you'll also get in the thyroid test is maybe like a total or free T4, possibly a total or free T3 which are some other bigger pieces of the puzzle because those are the, the larger um, or the, the majority of the type of thyroid hormone that is produced by the body, which actually T4 is what's produced and then it's converted into T3. So now we start to get bigger you know, clues about the pathway of what's happening with thyroid hormone. But some of the things that are really being missed is a, a complete picture. So when we're looking at thyroid, we want TSH, we want total T4 and free T4. So we can look at the bound hormone, what's already been used. And then we can also look at what's bioavailable to the cells, which is the free version. We also want total and free T3, which 
is helping us to understand how T4, how well T4 is being converted into T3 or not. Um, We also want to look at things like reverse T3 or T3 uptake, which tells us how well T3 is being utilized by the cells. And then I always like to look at thyroid antibodies because that gives us an insight about a possible autoimmune process that's in place. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've seen with thyroid antibodies that are not being looked at. And when you know that there's something going on, like an autoimmune process, there's a lot of other things that you can do to reverse the autoimmune process, which is ultimately going to boost thyroid function as well, too, because that means when you have an autoimmune process going on, the body is essentially attacking your thyroid tissue. So for example, if you've got low thyroid hormone, that could be a result of the tissue being attacked. There's an assault happening on your thyroid. So we really want to get all of these pieces of the puzzle to understand the big picture of what's happening with thyroid. But unfortunately, most often people are just maybe getting, you know, two or three out of the five or six that I just mentioned, right? If, if that. Right. <laughs> if that is another big part. Now, those are things that are specific to, to thyroid, um, but there's also other clues that we can really be looking at. And this kind of goes along where we started our conversation of what are some of those other functional lab tests um, that I like to use and why do typical blood tests, you know, maybe not tell you as much as you want to know and what are some of these other tests that you should be running instead, right? So your blood test is going to give you these clues about thyroid, but then if we know that something is suboptimal about the thyroid, we want to, again, ask that question, well, why is that happening? Where is there maybe like something happening upstream or downstream from the thyroid that is impacting the thyroid function? So things like I always talk about uh, liver and detoxification because a large majority of your T4 hormone is converted into T3 in the liver. So we want to take a look at liver. You know, do you have a congested liver, which also means that you might have a buildup of toxins going on in the body that are then negatively impacting your thyroid function because those toxins can actually bind the thyroid hormone and make it an active or may I just interject here for a second about toxins and back to the liver that reverse T3. I just have been introduced to it in the last three years. And how important is that? We didn't learn about reverse T3 in medical school, just to let you know. And so a regular conventional doctor will not know to do a reverse T3. The lab that they use probably don't even know what that is. I'm just being honest here from New Zealand. And my gosh, increased T3 can be heavy toxins. So what's your toxin load? Could be mold. Right. No, as biotoxins could be Lyme disease, could be metals. So I love that you're talking about the importance of the liver and detoxifying and know that that reverse T3 is also another test. Yes, exactly. And how, and just recognizing if we just pause for a moment, recognizing how like the body is a complex network of systems. So whatever's going on with you and your health is not isolated to one system of the body, which is how our traditional medical system kind of approaches things, right? Like if you have a thyroid thing going on, you go to an endocrinologist that is specializing in the endocrinology and um, the endocrine system, 
right? Versus an internist that's going to be, you know, or gastroenterologist that's going to be looking at your gut health, which gut health was the next thing that I was going to talk about as something that you should be testing for because the intestinal lining is another area where there's a large portion of our uh, thyroid uh, hormone T4 is converted into T3. So now we've got, you know, detoxification system involved with the liver health. You've got your digestive system involved with intestinal health that all circle back and relate back to thyroid. But for some reason, our traditional like medical approach has been, let's just look at one system of the body and go to one specialist for that one thing. And this is where we want to get that broader perspective and where some of these functional lab tests can really help us to understand some of these things in this bigger picture a lot better. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And for the audience, do not go to the GP or your family practice doctor and say, I want my thyroid check and let them just give you one lab result, which is a TSH. And if it's, if it's under, if it's around five, don't put up with that because that's abnormal, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So if they give you, oh, your number's five, you're sweet as, bye-bye, your thyroid's fine. Do not put up with that. Find Jen. Wherever you are, (laughs) she can help you. And I'll let everybody know where they can find you. Right, because what we want to be looking at, you know, when you do go through the the traditional medical system, what they're looking for is uh, ranges of clinical diagnosis. So to say that you are clinically diagnosed with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, for example. But the reality is, is that there's a very, there's a spectrum leading up to that point. And, you know, you could be on that spectrum. So for example, with an autoimmune, the autoimmune spectrum, you guys can actually Google this and look this up, the autoimmune spectrum, like the beginning stages of an autoimmune condition can be one symptom once or twice a week. That doesn't seem like a lot, right? But then it builds to the point where it's happening every single day. And when that symptom or multiple symptoms are happening every single day is usually the point when somebody reaches clinical diagnosis, but that can take years. Like on average, as the research kind of shows us, it can take up to five years and seven different doctors approximately for somebody to finally get a diagnosis of like Hashimoto's as we're talking about thyroid here. And the reality is, is that they could have been doing something prior to that to reverse the process, right? Because they had symptoms early on. So that's what we're really, you know, A, what we're talking about is that if you are noticing a decline in your health in any capacity, that is not normal. Part of the problem like that's been going on is that we've been conditioned to think that like, as we get older, it's just normal to feel more tired or have hormone imbalances or put weight on or be forgetful. And just because those things are common does not make it normal. Exactly. Perfectly said, Jen. Right. I have to give Dr. Tom O'Brien credit for that because he introduced me to that kind of concept a couple of years back. And I was like, that's so true. Like just because something is common, we accept it as normal. And that's really not the case. Right. And so we've been conditioned to think that. So if anything is going on in your health, what you want to start thinking about is what can I do now? And this is where this whole going back to being your own health boss and advocate comes into play is that don't wait for the clinical diagnosis. There's things that you can start doing now that can help you recoup your life, you know, like reverse these symptoms. You can reverse an autoimmune process before you're even diagnosed with one, essentially, um, 
like for myself, I know we want to talk a little bit about my story here, Dr. Isabel, is that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's as a result of having toxic mold, by the way. Wow. Oh, (laughs) we got a lot to talk about, girlfriend. Uh, I caught it early and I was able to reverse my Hashimoto's within six months. Now, being that I caught it early, my antibodies were very low. Um, so luckily I was, I'm trained in this, right? So I knew how to identify it for myself. And I also, we all, all, we, all of us health practitioners even need our own doctors and health practitioners, right? So I have a wonderful naturopath that is, um, that I see personally and we caught this together and I was able to reverse that Hashimoto's within six months. Most other, um, like conventional traditional medical doctors would have never given me a Hashimoto's diagnosis because my antibodies were low. They were over the functional, what we call the functional range. So functional range is optimal range. Your optimal functional ranges are usually much narrow, much more narrow than the conventional range would be. And so I was, I don't know what the conversion is for you guys in New Zealand because I do think it's a little bit different. Um, what, what what numbers you, we do um, international units per mil for the thyroid I per, don't, peroxidase antibody? So I'm not sure off the top of my head, but our like for TPO and um, TGAB, it's like 20 and 40 are the limits for functional, right? So I was just over those limits. I was like at 46 and like. 39 or something like that. So I was just over the functional optimal limits for antibodies, but most conventional doctors over here wouldn't have diagnosed until you're like in the hundreds. Right. I know. Or even identified or acknowledged that there was a problem. Um, so, you know, going back to this whole point is that if you, you can catch it before it progresses. And I knew that something was not right with my body um, I was searching for what was going on, came across mold, did some tests, found out Hashimoto's. Which, the, which test did you do for the mold? Um, we did, well, uh, for my body or for the house? <laughs> oh, well, let's start with your body and then we'll do your house. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so I ended up doing some of the blood markers to look at chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Mm-hmm. So looking at things like MSH, melanite stimulating um, hormone, TGF beta one, VEGF. I know these all are acronyms that probably sound foreign to some of our listeners, but these are some of the markers that um, we look at to see if your body's having a chronic inflammatory response to something like mold. Um, I also did a mycotoxins test, which is a urine test, yes. which can be helpful as well. So gleaming insights from both of these types of tests, it was very obvious that I was having an inflammatory response and I was being exposed to mold. And uh, aside from that, my body was on the fritz. I mean, I was, I put on about 15 pounds over the course of two years, kind of slowly, because the mold was probably in our house for a long time before we mm-hmm. found it. I was having, um, experiencing cystic acne. Like I had never had acne in my entire life. Like not even through puberty as a teenager. And it was like on my back and on my face. And, and then I was having, I was on the birth control pill at the time before I transitioned off. And I was having breakthrough periods, even while I was taking the pill, like I had a 12 day period and I had really inflamed and swollen breasts throughout my cycle to the point where 
you could feel the heat coming off on my breast through two layers of clothes because they wow. were so mm. And that was the thing that really freaked me out because I was thinking like breast cancer, like, you know, who knows what's going on. And I wouldn't have mammograms and all these things done and nobody could tell me what was going on. And like, we just didn't know about the mold and it was just divine intervention one day that I opened up the guest room closet and looked up and there was like a bunch of black mold on the, the ceiling. The struck your bodies? Yep. <laughs> and then what test did you use to, to check your house? Um, so I've done a variety of tests. Um, we actually had a professional um, mold inspector come into the house and do some professional testing, which then confirms things like stachybocas, which is really nasty black mold. We actually found mold in some other areas of the home as well, too. And um, at that same time, I also ran uh, what's called an ERMI. Mm-hmm. It's like a, dust, uh, like a dust test. It mm-hmm. literally you get the little cloth and you wipe down surfaces of your house. And then we, and then you can calculate what's called a Hertz me score, which the Hertz me score helps you to understand how toxic are the molds and are, would they be um, an issue for somebody that has a chronic inflammatory response syndrome like I had going on. So once we, um, did the initial professional testing in the hurts me and ERMI test. After that, I just retested with the ERMI and the hurts me ongoing. Like I was a little paranoid because like, that's the thing that when you, when you've had mold in your house, I think you get a little PTSD from it. And so yes, I, yes. I did a retest the house like every, you know, three months or something for that first year, just to make sure that it was gone because the experience that I was going through in my body was definitely something that I didn't want to go through again. Like I just wanted it to be over. And was it gone? It was, we were, um, you know, they, we had, we did our research, we had proper remediation done. Um, we cleaned our air ducts. Um, I, we didn't have to go to the extent, like some people get rid of their furniture and everything like that. I didn't do that, but we did, um, fog our house, which is something that you can do when you've had mold, like you can actually get, um, a solution that contains natural essential oils because essential oils are actually, one of the best defenses against mold and you kind of fog your house and then it kills all the mold spores like on your couches and then the air and everything. And we cleaned our air vents the same way. Um, and since then everything has been fine. I also, one of the things that I talk to people about too, that's a little different in my case is that I don't have the genetic, I don't have the gene, I guess I would say to have a severe reaction to mold. So about 25% of the population has a genetic mutation in the HDL, uh, HDLAR gene. And um, so it's kind of rare. And those people will have a more severe reaction Mm -hmm. to mold. So like when I was going through this process, uh, there's a book that I was reading by written by a naturopathic doctor called, you know, is it mold? And she had a severe reaction to mold. Like, in the book, she tells a story about stepping off an um, airplane in the Portland, Oregon airport, and there was mold in the airport, and she instantly had a reaction the second she stepped into the airport. That wasn't me, right? Like it was an accum- it was an accumulative process that happened over a period of time where mold is really toxic, and so essentially what it did is it just weighed down on my body um, over the course of you know I've 
for two years, probably at least mm. to the point where my body just like couldn't detox it any detox it anymore. Um, and so it, I had estrogen dominance, like elevated estrogen as a re- result, which triggers the Hashimoto's. I had to do some, a lot of detoxing of the body. Right. And yeah. so everybody's old, um, scenarios are a little bit different, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm well now and everything's good. And I've totally like healed from that <laughs> situation. I'm so glad to hear. And it's really good to, to let the audience know that mold disrupts hormones. I mean, it affects the pituitary and it just affects so many systems. Yeah. Mold actually is the mycotoxins, like the mold toxins themselves, they convert to estrogen in the body. We actually call them, they're like a classification of toxins called xenoestrogens, which are toxins that mimic estrogen in the body. So like soy and food does the same thing. So does like BPA from plastic phthalates and parabens that are found in like your makeup and your, your personal care products. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things mimic estrogen in the body and fall into this um, xenoestrogen toxic uh, or chemical classification. It's amazing. It is. They're everywhere. And it's a, it's a specialization in and of itself. It is. There's actually a really fascinating book that I recently read that you and the audience might love to check out. It's called Estro Generation. Hmm. And it's a scientist who um, wrote the book. He, he's actually pretty humorous for being science driven, but he actually breaks down um, even the, like the things that are wrong with the scientific data that shared, but he specifically focuses on the amount of estrogen um, producing elements that are in our environment these days. And he even talks about how it, the, um, the number of estrogens that we're exposed to are changing like the evolution of the, the male facial structure. So if you think about it, like which, what kind of men do we usually find most attractive? Like you think of your Brad Pitt's, like the guys with the really chiseled faces well, that's more testosterone driven. Like that's actually like more naturally how men are supposed to look. But now we're seeing men with much more rounded faces. And he talks about how that's a result of having so much estrogen in our environment from plastics and all these other chemicals that it's changing that facial structure. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. And they also have breasts, men with yeah. breasts. <laughs> Yes, that's a whole other problem too. I wanted to ask you, I'm writing all these notes. So the book is Estro Generation. Do you know the name of the the scientist? um, That's okay. But if you look up the book, it's like the only one that'll come up. It's um, in an audio format as well. Like I like to listen to books while I'm like walking the dog and cleaning the house and doing other things. Mm So so there's, you can get it in that format, but it's a really interesting read for sure. Very good. And I also wanted to ask you, do you remember what oils, essential oils you use to, to fog your house to get rid of the mold? Yeah. So um, it's very fascinating. This, the naturopath that wrote this book, um, is it mold? Like, is it within reach here? Um, I forget her name also, but if you just look it up, is it mold? It's a blue book with a circle in the middle. It says, is it mold? she actually does had done a ton of research and she references, she talks about how mold is even referenced in the Bible. Oh yes. In Leviticus. Yes. If you've got it in the house, 
leave. <laughs> Get out of the house. Yes. And how they used um, Three Thieves oil to get rid of it. So it's and the Three Thieves, like that blend. So like I'm a, I use doTERRA is the brand that I use. So yes, I do too. So is, do they have a Three Thieves? It's the On Guard. On Guard is their three, is their version of a Three Thieves oil. So just it's, On Guard? Yes. So okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's clove like eucalyptus, rosemary. I think those are the three um, of the thieves, like that can make the three thieves. I forget Young Living what their blend is. But um, even like um, there is a, oh gosh, you're asking me questions that I'm like, I can't remember the names. Of it's them. okay. It's okay. But do you use, did you use the On Guard like all day long for 25 months or like, what did you do? No. So you get, so it's actually funny, like the whole process of fogging your house. Like, you know, like if you're going to have a party and you get a fogger to, for like a Halloween party, that's, that's literally what this thing is. So you can make a solution with water and your on guard, um, three thieves oil. And you put this in, you buy one of those little party foggers at the local party store. And then you can fog your house every so often and it helps to kill the mold particles in the air. You can also then make like a, you know, mix it up in a spray bottle, make a spray with water and, you know, test the surface to make sure it's not going to ruin your fabric on your furniture or something first. And then you can spritz it on your furniture. I actually, just because like um, my husband and I work out quite a bit, we live in San Diego where it's more humid here. So our workout clothes can get a little like that moldy, um, sent to them mm-hmm. from being in the laundry basket. I put doTERRA essential oils in my washing machine with my detergent and that cuts the moldy mildew kind of smell out of your workout clothes too. And then it's kind of cleaning any potential mold out of the washer as well, you know, depending on, cause washers can accumulate mold inside of them also, whether you've got a front yes. loading or top loading one. Yes. Ah. <sighs> So many things. <laughs> oh, well, here in New Zealand, the leaky house syndrome is so bad. I bet. Yeah. It's absolutely, and the mold is, people think that they can just wash off the mold with some bleach and a and a washcloth. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. But yeah. anyway, there's and that's so like, much. It, that's, that's actually a really important thing that we should point out here is that, <laughs> that actually using bleach or Clorox makes the mold multiply so it it then becomes resistant to those things and it will um it will multiply and it will also like adapt and change so that's that's actually the number one reason why using essential oils as a cleaning product for mold is much better than something like clorox and bleach very good. Thank you. I'm so glad you're feeling better and you're healed and you no longer have Hashimoto's Right. You no longer have mold toxicity. Correct. Because your urine mold toxins are negative, mm-hmm. right? And are you still using any binders like for the rest of your life so that you, because we're constantly being exposed to junk. Yeah. And I actually do. That's a really great question. Um, I take a daily liver support supplement that has like milk thistle and dandelion root in it. Um, I, right now, because it's spring here for us. So spring is a really good time 
to do like a little bit of an extra like detox boost or cleanse as you come out of the winter months. And so I'm doing some burdock root tincture um, right now too, which is another great one. Or you can get burdock tea. Dandelion root tea is another good one. So I kind of incorporate these things on an ongoing basis. But just for the pure and simple fact that we are exposed to toxins every single day that we can't, you know, hear, see, feel, or smell. I do like to regularly take um, like a binder. I love. Oh yeah. um, That's what I was asking. Really. I should have specified. Are you taking binders and which ones for the rest of your life to to stay clean? (laughs) um, And I think you guys have access to this there in New Zealand. It's biobotanical research, their GI detox. Mm -hmm. So it's a mixture of um, charcoal and bentonite clay. Um, It's got a couple other um, binding uh, agents in there too. Like it's this proprietary blend that they've come up with. And I found it really helpful uh, for people with mold specifically because of the ingredients that it has, because it also has zeolite clay in it. Um, It has aloe vera, it has silica, in it as well, humic acid and fulvic acid. So this blend is really, um, really powerful for all different types of, of toxins and molds and things like that, that we just come in contact on a regular basis. We have something like that in Quicksilver called the ultra binder, but what was the other, what was the other bio? Um, so it's called biobotanical research, Uh the brand. Um, and then it's their GI detox. Detox. Okay, thanks. Because I've got um, just a little aside of what my husband and I are doing is we, we're working with Dr. Dale Bredesen in America who wrote The End of Alzheimer's. So we help people reverse um, Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. Of course, we want to do it as soon as we want to help them starting in their 40s, which we do. But one of the things that we have realized is that 50, and not just myself, but all of the doctors around the world doing this in naturopaths, 50% of the cognitive decline in Alzheimer's is biotoxins. Oh, I'm sure. Mold, Lyme, Bartonella, all those things. And so there's a lot, there's so much work to be done in this. I, and I would say that that's probably because of the high inflammatory factors related to that, like going back to what I was sharing earlier about testing myself for that chronic inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a high inflammatory rate that happens, which then there's a domino effect. So then it impacts like working with a client right now that we're, she's going through a process. We discovered mole. She, um, it affects your leptin hormone, which is your hormone that helps to balance blood sugar and um, hunger and satiation So then you lead to things like insulin resistance, like her, even though she eats basically like a keto style diet, like high fat proteins, really low carbs, she's got really high fasting glucose. And it's all part of this like perfect storm that mold has created. And so when you, and like, there's a lot of inflammation. So we know that cognitive decline and things like Alzheimer's and stuff like that, dementia is a result of inflammation right and so it would make sense that these Mm. um underlying kind of hidden conditions or environmental factors 
are really creating um, the in internal chaos that's leading to these types of things later in life, certainly. You yes. know, it's like I, when I had come out of this, I wrote a blog about how I didn't know that I had brain fog until I was out of it. Like I've always been a high <laughs> I've always been a high performing multitasker and it wasn't until I didn't have brain fog anymore that I was like, Oh my God, I had brain fog. Like I used to have to like, you know, write lists and notes to kind of keep myself organized. Now I just keep it all in my head and I don't need that stuff, which is so fascinating to me. Like I'm just so much more cognitively sharp, even though I was already sharp to the compared to like the common person, you know, the normal person anyways. Right. So it's just fascinating when you get that, hindsight that introspective after you get out of it <laughs> you kind of like wake up yes exactly do you have any children I don't just virtually dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just talking about you know having no more brain fog I remember when my last child was five and I was actually sleeping the whole night and I had a whole week of sleeping great and I remember saying wow, I feel so awake. So I know that feeling of, wow, I'm really here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not tired anymore. Right. <laughs> and then you also wanted to talk about gut health. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, I alluded to this earlier as related to thyroid that your, you know, the intestinal lining is where we convert a large majority of that T3 to T4 hormone, but the gut is the cornerstone of everything because that's where we digest and absorb nutrients first and foremost. So if you have um, an unhealthy gut or intestinal lining, like an impaired intestinal lining, you're one, not absorbing nutrients, you know, as well as you could be, which is then setting you up for nutrient deficiencies and health issues as a result of that. But secondly, the intestinal lining is where the majority of our immune system resides. So, it's our second, uh, yeah, it's, it's our brain, it, it's our brain, it's our second brain and our immune system. Right. Which I actually say that it's, I think it, they're going to start calling it the first brain here, not in long <laughs> because it is like this, this place of like, where if we didn't have that, like if we don't have good intestinal health, like nothing else works, you know, it is in charge practically. It's like, we also produce neurotransmitter hormones like serotonin and dopamine that keep our mood regulated in there that prevent things like anxiety and depression. So it's really important to have a healthy intestinal um, system, which, you know, means like eating an anti-inflammatory diet, like keeping inflammation low in there. Um, also making sure that you're eating foods that are going to provide nutrients to heal the intestinal lining all the time. Like things like bone broth are really good for that or glutamine and fish oils, for example, so that we can optimally absorb nutrients so that we can keep our immune system healthy. We need to like maintain um, that intestinal lining for the greater good of our entire body, basically. I just wanted to interject about glutamine because we, we do use glutamine pretty willy nilly, right? For healing the gut. And this is something that I've just learned, and you probably already know this, but in the brain, glutamine is converted into glutamate. And glutamate is excitatory. 
And so if your patients, your peeps are having um, anxiety or having problems with insomnia, we just know now that we need to maybe back off. On yeah. That. Yeah. That is definitely possible. It's a very rare, um, there's like a small percentage of the, of the population that has that conversion um, type of issue. So in my, um, in the years that I've been working with people, I would say in the hundreds of people I've worked with, it's maybe like a handful, less than a handful that I've ever experienced that. But that definitely is something that you want to keep an eye out for, for sure. Just so if anybody's out there and they're experiencing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, we've got to take good care of our gut. We have to. It's so important. So important. And so many people's guts are not working well. It's so sad. It is. It really is. And, and some, and people just don't, they're not connected into, to understand that like, Oh, I have anxiety that could be because of my digestive health. Like most people are looking at it from a very literal perspective of, well, having a, you know, inflamed intestinal lining or what we call leaky gut must mean that I'm going to have an upset stomach when there's actually a lot of other things that Um, can result from having an unhealthy gut. Like you can have skin issues like eczema and psoriasis we know are very commonly correlated with things like gut and food sensitivities and reactions or anxiety and depression or even hormonal um, issues as well too. Sleep issues are another really big one that can really be linked to gut health um, as well. So it's not just always you know, stomach and digestive related, like there's a a broad number of symptoms that can be clues to something's going on with your gut. And the reality is that the way that most people eat, the majority of people, and the fact that we do have all these toxins in our environment that we've been talking about today, it's probably likely that, you know, unless you've been really focusing on working on your gut health, um, it's probably pretty safe to say that you've got some work to do there, you know? Uh, I'd say 99.9% of the population does. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> and, and that's the beauty is you're helping people learn how to be the boss of their health. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. How to advocate for themselves, you know, be educated about what's going on. Cause there's so much research out there and um, you know, some of the, studies show that on average it takes 17 years for new information to hit your doctor's desk and there's information that's coming out every single day. So I just think it's really important for us to um, be doing some research ourselves, educating ourselves and in a way that is also looking at, you know, about like validated information, not just going to Dr. Google and taking any advice that's on there, but really going to some reliable sources um, seeking that information and research that's a little bit more relevant to the present day and present times of what's going on with your body. Well said. And speaking of where to get reliable information, for those of you who want to continue following Jen, you can find her at, this is her handle on Instagram, it's at Holistic Health Boss. And then her website is holistichealthboss.com. Thank you so much, Jen. And we want you're very welcome and enjoy that beautiful California spring. I will. I (laughs) make it over to New Zealand. It's on my bucket list. (laughs) You will, you will. As soon as this pandemic ends, I'm sure everything the borders will open up and we'll be 
starting a new way of living. Like, <laughs> that's what we're all shooting for, right? Yeah. So. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review.